Well, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. This is a podcast where we explore thoughts in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today, I have uh, another very special guest on. I have with me uh, head coach for Wheaton Wrestling Program, Jim Grunwald, and uh, we're going to be we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. This dude loves to rant, and I love his rants. They're the best kind of rants. So maybe we'll get super far afield, but I want to talk to him about his. Olympic wrestling career, wrestling in general, uh, masculinity and Christianity kind of stuff. So we'll see if that's where we end up. If not, it'll be awesome anyways. So without further ado, Jim, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, absolutely, Parker. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. So the first time I ever encountered you uh, was at an Athletes in Action meeting at Northern Illinois. And all of our coaches were like, you guys have to come to this. You have to go. Like this dude's a legend. He's a really big deal. So we show up and not really knowing a ton what to expect, you know, heard a little bit about you and that's pretty sweet. But then we ended up watching uh, a video of you doing like a hundred pull-ups in a row. (laughs) Was it a hundred? Did you get to a hundred? Yeah. So um, yeah, I did 101. It's a funny little story. I was, I was like a year after my, my uh, second shoulder surgery where my humeral Mm -hmm. head had dropped down into my armpit, which is a bad experience. So I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, ended up having a bunch of titanium anchors put back in my shoulder and uh, I was at a wrestling camp and these kids are like, Hey, have you ever done a hundred pull-ups? We heard that you're trying to do it. And I'm like, no, I keep feeling at 95 or in the nineties. And I'm like, we'll try it now. So I jump up there and for whatever reason, maybe it was the hype of the kids. <laughs> I jump up there and I <clears throat> do 101. So the kid records it and says, I'm going to put this up on YouTube. And at the time I, I don't even know if I knew what YouTube was. I'm like, all right, well, whatever. And, uh, and then I, you know, fast forward a few years, I'm at Wheaton College and I'm always goofing around now saying if it's not on YouTube, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And the guys are like, how many pull-ups have you ever done? I'm like, I've done 101. They're like, is it on YouTube? I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? And they're like, no, it's not. And so they're like, well, it doesn't count then. So I jumped up there and I did 107. So that kind of shut them up. Not a week later, this kid posts that video and says, hey, I finally got around to posting of that video. I'm like, you uh, have no idea how much pain I had to go through uh, <laughs> to do this the second time. So yeah, I have done 100. Over 100 pull-ups twice. That's awesome. So is the 107 on YouTube as well? No, no. That's just okay. on GymTube. That's that's completely in my mind. Awesome. But it uh, did happen. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped that that's up there. Uh, yeah, so so getting to know you a little bit uh, was, was awesome through that talk. And then uh, hearing about you in the wrestling community, everyone respects you and admires you. So then I, I came and started volunteering with some of your big guys at Wheaton. And uh, it was cool because I wanted to get back in shape. I wanted to use my body uh, for someone else's benefit as well for the big dudes. But then, man, a big part of the reason was just to hear your rants. That's like a big part. I wanted to hear Jim just go off on uh, what does it mean to be a man? Like, what should a Christian wrestler think like, act like? And so, yeah, dude, you've been a huge encouragement to me. So uh, just want to thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fun. Good way to start practice. That's right. Um How'd you get into wrestling at all? Uh, that's a great question. So I lost a fight. Um, I was winning the fight. You know, you're, you're, you know how kids are. They're at the play. You know, you're at the you're at the bus stop. You're waiting for the bus to pick you up. 
one second you're best friends, the next second you're fighting, and you, then two seconds later you're back to being best friends again. Well, we got into a fight. I popped a kid three times in the face, thought I'd won. He's bent over, grabbing his face, and all of a sudden he looks up at me and, like, charges me and takes me down. You know, I'd done some background wrestling with my brother, but nothing right. serious. And so he's beating me up using wrestling. Well, his dad comes out there, slaps him around a little bit and says, hey, listen, you're 50 pounds heavier. Fight someone your own size. Because at the time, I was like 70 pounds dripping wet, and this kid was like 120. So not huge, but still huge compared to me. And uh, a couple of weeks after that, he's like, hey, wrestling practice is going to start. You want to come? I'm thinking back to this fight. Yeah, yeah I want to come. Um <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, so that's how I started wrestling. And then it was one of those things where you wrestle a couple of matches. I lost my first one, three to two. I remember it to this day Wow! in sixth grade. It was awful. And then so I go out for the team in seventh grade and then go out for the team in eighth grade and then really kind of hit my stride. So by the end of my eighth grade year, then I'm going into freestyle wrestling. My freshman year in high school, I'm doing freestyle in Greco. I'm, I'm almost wrestling year round. Yeah. What, uh, what state were you in? Wisconsin. Wisconsin, yeah. That's pretty crazy, like, back then uh, that you were doing Greco and freestyle. Because w- was it a big thing? Or were it was, for me, when I was in high school, it was kind of like there were some decent Greco uh, Greco tournaments, freestyle tournaments. But, like, how did you ever even get into the world of freestyle and Greco? So, yeah. Um, so, some friends of mine, again, were hardcore wrestlers. The kid that, you know, that I got in a fight with, John Betcher is actually his name. Actually, a little segue. He actually brought his stepson to a wrestling camp I was yeah, doing. Yeah, it comes full circle. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of cool. Um, but anyway, so he was into freestyle, and so I got into freestyle, and I got into Greco by accident. It was hmm. my freshman year. We went up to the Northern Plains Regional National Tournament in um, in Bismarck, North Dakota. I think it's North Dakota. Bismarck, yeah, it's Bismarck, North Dakota. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, um, got up there early. We misread the schedule. And so all of a sudden I'm there for the freestyle tournament and the freestyle tournament is not happening for like another day or two. Yeah. So one of my friend's dads who was an official is like, well, why don't you do the Greco? So I jumped into the Greco tournament one. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I kind of like this. And then I just stuck with it. Wow, man. That's awesome. So, so you did, uh, how'd you end up doing in, in high school? So I was a, uh, I was a four-time state qualifier three-time state finalist. I lost my sophomore year, won my junior year, beat the kid that had beat me my sophomore year, and then lost to Dennis Hall my senior year, three to wow. two. Yeah. What, two what, weight, what weight was that? Yeah, by stalling call, you said? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to bring that up. <laughs> it still hurts. Um, so my freshman and sophomore years, I wrestled 98 pounds, and then I jumped up to 112 my junior year and was 119 my senior year. Okay. So then you, you, you moved on to Messiah College, right? Mar- uh, Maranatha. Mar- Maranatha. Yeah, yeah. Dang it. Yeah. I always do that. Um, and that is, uh, is that in PA? No. Well, Messiah is in PA. Okay. I always do this. Which is a great Christian wrestling school, not to yeah. put in a plug for another place, but they yeah. are. I love the coach. Eric Brunk. He's a friend of mine. Yeah. Real good friend of mine. Um, but no, I went to Maranatha. That's where Ben coached. And that's up, yeah. in, the, that's up in Watertown, Wisconsin, which oh, is in Wisconsin. Okay. Right in between Madison and Milwaukee. So if you were to draw a line from Madison to Milwaukee, about equidistant from both of them is a little town called Watertown. Yeah. Did you go there because of uh, because of Ben Peterson? Partly, um, but it was also the pastor of the church that I was in at the time told me if I didn't go to Maranatha, my life would turn to a living hell. He actually drew a picture of me in hell. Stick <laughs> figure. 
Yeah, I wish I were making this up, but <laughs> but it's true. And then my mom, my mom asked me to go there for a year. Mm-hmm. She was getting pressure from the pastor. And of course they had Ben Peterson there. So there wasn't really a downside. Mm-hmm. And then when I got there, honestly, it was probably outside of my salvation was the second best decision I've ever made in life wow. because getting that Christian mentoring from Ben Peterson kind of filled a real gap that I needed in my life, knowing what it was and learning what it was to be a, a Christian husband, father, and neighbor. I mean, that Ben stepped in. So yeah, yeah that's how I ended up there. Man, that's huge. Did I don't weight classes are always changing and stuff. Did they have one lower than one twenty five back then, or did you? Were you? At- yeah, so it was one eighteen and one twenty six were the were the two weight classes back then. Okay, what what did you wrestle in college? I started at one twenty six, and then I uh, I wrestled that for two years, and then I bumped up to one thirty four. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, okay, so was John around at that time, John Peterson, or was it just Ben? So Ben was the coach there, but over the summers uh, they ran their wrestling camps. Uh, and so Ben and John were both at the wrestling camp. So I also had John Peterson building into me over the summers. Yeah, man, that's so huge for anyone who knows wrestling. Like we're talking about the guy, uh, the guys who the Peterson role is named after, but it's usually, it's usually a different role than people think the Peterson role is. Have you, have you come across that too, Jim, that like people think it's a a different role than it is? Yeah. So Ben denies that the Peterson role is his role, but he right. does roll a lot. So I can see how the two are attached. Yeah. But yeah. They're, I mean, Ben and John Peterson, as far as wrestlers, I mean, they're both Olympic champs. And mm-hmm. then as far as Christianity, they're both rock solid Christians. So they're kind of like the icons of Christian wrestling. Yeah. And I don't know that that'll, that'll ever end until they die. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a really big set of shoes, both of them to fill where you have someone who was wildly successful. Uh, they were wildly successful as athletes, but then also have stayed true to their Christian roots yeah. and haven't got and haven't wigged out the way a, a lot of uh, you know sometimes Christians do late in life. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, man. That those two are legends. Um, yeah, that's I love those guys. They're so awesome. And and John works with uh, athletes in action, which is which is huge. And that's a big part of why I am where I am right now. Anyways, um, they. I, I, I think John, did John go to Maranatha? Did they both go to Maranatha? No. So Ben went to the University of Iowa, or excuse me, he went to Iowa State. It was a oh. national champ for them. John Peterson went to UW Stout, which right. had a wrestling program back then, but it was an NAIA program. And okay. interestingly enough, John, the best John ever did at the NAIA National Championships was fifth, right? Yeah. And then a, a year and a half later, he's a silver medalist in the Olympics. Yeah. that oh, that That's a story. And yeah, it's so wild because, um, man, that gives a lot of people hope when people are like, oh, well, I'm not D1 or I'm this or that. It's like, dude, like just work really hard and get good training partners and you can accomplish stuff in the sport. Look at John Peterson. Yeah. And so John John went on and, and trained with uh, with Gable, right? Is that is that how? Yeah, mean? Gable, Gable, Ben and John all trained for a while at Gable's place uh, in Iowa. That's so huge. That's so awesome. Yeah. So then, so let me get to you. And you uh, going going back to you, uh, you're in college. Are you still keeping up with Greco? Is it still your favorite after after that tournament? Are you starting to like it more, or did you just focus on folk style during college? You know, I did folk style, and interestingly enough, did not do a whole lot of Greco at all. Despite the fact that you know Ben was a freestyle and was the head coach, Mike Hauk was the assistant coach my freshman and I think a little bit into my sophomore year. And he was America's first world champion. He was a world champion in 1985. Hmm. Uh, so he was the assistant there. So I would wrestle with him. 
Uh, but I did not compete. I don't recall competing one time in college in mm-hmm. Greco. Now, I did go to the University Nationals and compete in freestyle and took second there. And wow. uh, and then post-college, when I was debating on whether or not I was going to be done wrestling, and then my mom challenged me and said, you said you were going to be an Olympic champion. You haven't even tried. So I called up Mike and said, Mike, and he at the time then had tra- had, tra- had uh went from being the assistant coach at Maranatha to being the national teams coach for Greco. I called him up and said, Mike, what do I have to do? And he's like, you got to get into tournaments. So then I started competing again. I went to the university nationals, took third in Greco, qualified for the U S Olympic festival and won that. And that's how I got accepted then into the Olympic training center. So the short answer to your question is, is kind of stepped away from Greco for four years in college, almost five focused almost completely on uh, collegiate wrestling, dabbled in freestyle, and then didn't pick up the Greco shoes again until after college. Man, that's amazing. So the reason that's amazing is because Jim was a, a two-time Olympian uh, in, in Greco. So you'd think that this dude just lived and, and breathed Greco. What, do you think, is is your body type more suited for Greco? Like why, were, were you an upper tank kind of guy in folk style anyways? Or how'd you flourish so well in, in Greco? So. Um, so I don't know that there's a body style because you look at somebody like La- Matt Linlin, who, when he was yeah. competing on his best day, looked like Gumby, right? And then, and then you've got somebody like Garrett Lowney, who looks like he was cut out of the side of a mountain and he's got the body of a Greek god. And right. so those are the extremes. And then you've got uh, the rest of us who are all in between. So I don't know if it's necessarily a body thing. It's just something that I'd like to do. And I did, I was, I did throw a lot in high school and I threw a lot in college. And so I had an affinity for it. The irony is, is then I go into Greco and I hardly throw anybody. I, you know, I, I end up, <laughs> I think I pinned two people in Greco my entire Olympic career. Wow. Um, but a lot of gut wrenches, a lot of lifts. So it was more of a lifting and throwing and just positional wrestling where I'm, out positioning and grinding guys down. But yeah, so I, I, it's just something that I was attracted to. It seemed like it was the harder sport in, you know, considering that, you know, I think folk style does a great job of preparing us for freestyle, right? It's not a huge, it's not a huge jump. I mean, look at it. Jordan Burroughs was a world champion. Right. And didn't have a gut or a leg lift or leg lace. He was just really good at taking Last people double. down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he's got this sick double leg blast and yet not, not a whole lot of now he's since developed as a freestyle wrestler, but then there wasn't a whole lot other than his, his double. And, yeah. and he was, I mean, a super hard worker and gifted by God in a way that I can only dream of. Right. Uh, but you put that all together and now he's a world, he's a world and Olympic champ. Yeah. Um, the rest of us who have to scratch and claw our way to the top, uh, <laughs> a little bit different, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So your mom sounds awesome, by the way. She's, she sounds like just a, an awesome lady. She's Amazing challenging woman. you, challenging yeah. you to, to, to follow your dreams there. So you, you get on the team, you, you like, how'd you end up qualifying and what'd that look like? Like, uh, I, I think you were, you were at the training center for like 10 years or something, weren't you? Well, 12. Dang. And then I coached slash athlete for another four up at Northern Michigan university, which is the U S Olympic Education Center. Okay. But yeah, my first 12 years were in Colorado Springs. So once I got accepted to the residency program in Colorado Springs, I packed up everything and drove out there November 1st. It actually started October 1st, but I had to finish my student teaching. Okay. So I actually finished my student teaching, kind of went on an old program, uh, which is a whole nother story in and of itself. But yeah, drove out there November 1st with 
just the clothes on my back and uh, you know a, a, a an old Toyota Tercel got out there and then spent um, the next <laughs> you know the next twelve years of my life training to be the best in the world. Yeah, but did you get married in there or was that not till after? Yeah, no. So I got in. I got to the Olympic Training Center in drove out there in I believe it was November of nineteen ninety three. And then I f- was married in March of 1997. Okay. Did- so I spent three and a half years as a resident on yeah. site at the Olympic Training Center, and then they didn't have any married housing. So then I moved off campus um, and, you know, obviously lived with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was just about to ask if she was living in a dorm with you or something. That'd be crazy. No. Uh, no. That's wild. Jim, how about how about uh, other, like, well, first and foremost, is wrestling a combat sport? What do you think about that? Well, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a martial art, right? Yeah. It's one of the first martial arts. Um, you look at the history of it. So yeah, absolutely. It's a martial art and it's a martial art with rules, just like, you know, uh, you know, Tai Chi or karate or Taekwondo or Muay Thai boxing or jujitsu. They're all martial arts. They're all wartime arts. Yeah. You know, wrestling is a really good one-on-one martial art, just as, uh, jiu-jitsu is a really good one-on-one martial art. Wrestling is not a great one-on-five martial <laughs> art, right? Yeah. You take a guy down and his four buddies are kicking you in the head. Yeah, and so great. wrestling, not a great one-on-one martial art, whereas some of the other martial arts are great one-on-one mar- uh, martial arts. So, yes. I mean, again, the short answer to your question is yes, mar- wrestling is a martial art. Okay. It is a combat sport. Yeah. I love it. I, I love that. One thing that that's uh, what's weird. So I'm doing jujitsu now and there's, there's belt systems and you can kind of see how long people have been training. There's nothing really like that in wrestling. And I don't, I don't know if I like it or not. Sometimes I like it. Cause it's like, well, it's kind of keep what you kill kind of, kind of sport where man, if you don't do anything, you don't get any accolades. Like you didn't win any tournaments, then kind of is what it is. But some people like Joe Rogan will talk about this and he talks with wrestlers and says, he says like, well, you're like a black belt in wrestling. Then you've been doing it for 15 years. Like you would be a black belt if you had belts. What do you think about like a a belt system or like a singlet system or anything? How come, how come we don't have that? And is that something we do need? You think? Uh, Honestly, I think the belts are, you know, your, your state champ, national champ, Olympic champ. I Mm -hmm. mean, your credentials are kind of your belts. Yeah. I think sometimes with belts and again, I know this isn't always the case with belts, but sometimes a person just spends time doing something, they get the forms right, and yet they've got no real combat skill, right? And so I guess my my belt is the fact that I made two Olympic teams. So that shows my – I mean, I spent 12 years in Olympic Training Center, and there were guys that spent a lot of time there, but they were still terrible. Yeah. Right. They, they were never great wrestlers. They, you know, but they were facility use. They got to train with us and they, they never really progressed. Yeah. There's kids that wrestle from, you know, from the time they're diapers all the way through high school. So they put in 12 years and never once qualified for a state tournament. So yeah. it's cool that they spent a lot of time and I'm sure they could demonstrate a single leg or a double leg just as well as anybody else. But going through the forums is a lot different than someone, you know, trying to blast you into the parking lot. <laughs> So I guess I kind of like the purity of the sport and not having that kind of a belt system Mm -hmm. because I think your credentials ultimately will define how far you've progressed in it rather than just saying, Hey, I've wrestled 15 years. I saw Cuban heavyweight. He'd wrestled for six years. He was a world champion. The guy was a freak. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Um, you know, and then you see people wrestle for 20 years and again, they don't even qualify for the state tournament. You know, their yeah. dad held them back so they could have those two extra years and they still yeah. don't do it. Yeah. I've heard that too. No, that's a great point, man. That is kind of like the, the keep what you kill kind of uh, belt system, which, which is sweet. It gets me fired up. I want to like run through a wall right now, but <laughs> it makes me think of, um, like like judo um did you ever mess with judo to help your your greco uh judo uh like shoot wrestling sambo kind of stuff do you ever get into anything like that on such a on such a small level it would be like the guy who comes up and said hey you know i had this one move in junior high that nobody could stop and then he'll (laughs) then the next thing he tells you is that you know he missed going to junior high state by one point because he lost i'm like well if you had that one move that no one could stop why didn't you do the move man (laughs) well i've dabbled in karate i've dabbled in oh it's taekwondo technically Mm. you know i dabbled in boxing i dabbled in you know judo but it's dabbling at best. So I have, I know just enough to where if someone even just has a, you know, spent a year in a, in a judo gym would, you know, snap my wrist, you know, snap my wrist off or break my ankle. Cause I wouldn't yeah. even know enough to tap in time. Right. Um, so, yeah. So again, I've dabbled in it, but n- nothing even close to the amount of time that I spent, you know, which has been almost my entire life. Now I've spent 40 years wrestling. Yeah. I still wrestle. Yeah, you do, man. Yeah, you do. Uh, that's that's awesome. Well, can you tell us about your time in the in the Olympics? Like, were those back to back Olympics? What what years were you in? And uh, yeah, how'd you how'd you do with those two? So yeah, um, I I first tried out for the Olympics, I suppose, technically in 1992, but went 0 and 2 at nationals. So great first start. Mm-hmm. Uh, in '96. I qualified for the Olympic trials. I, I actually uh, won the national tournament. They overturned the match in a protest. So mm. I ended up taking second. Yeah, it was awful. Um, but I still qualified for the trials and ended up taking third place, at the Olympic trials in 1996, um, which again, only the number one guy goes and the, the only the number one guy goes if the weights qualified, which that year was Dave Zuniga in 2000. I beat Dennis Hall to make yeah. the Olympic team. And then 2004 um, I had Joe Warren, uh, was who I beat to in the final Olymp- Olympic trials. That's who I beat to make the team. I, I, I thought I was done and then decided in 2007 that I was going to come out of retirement because I was working just as hard as the guys that I was training. And I won the national tournament in 2008, went to qualify the uh, weight class two weeks later and dislocated my shoulder for the second time. And so that pretty much put my competitive career uh if yeah. not on hold, it ended it. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain real quick uh, to the listeners, like what does it mean to have to qualify the weight? Yeah. So you don't just, just because you're the best guy in the country doesn't mean you just, you have a free pass to the Olympics. You actually have to qualify the weight. So the year that I, when I qualified it in 2000, actually technically I had it qualified in 2000 because I went to these qualification tournaments and accrued enough points. I actually qualified two weight classes that year. I qualified 63 kilograms because their guy, one guy got hurt. Another guy couldn't make weight in time. And so they're like, Jim, do you want to go to 63 kilos? It was like four days before the tournament. Will you go and try to qualify this weight for us? And I was like, sure. I took third in the tournament, got him 23 points. Um, the next two tournaments, they, between the 23 that I got them, um, in the next two tournaments that qualified that weight class. Well, I did the same thing. Dennis went to the first qualifier. I think he took 12, got some points. I went to the next one, took third, got another 23 points. Um, and we had it after three, after three tournaments, we had it qualified and then we lost it. Uh, 
the next one in Colorado Springs because Dennis lost to the German who then had enough points to 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 get that top seven yeah. point total. He got that. And so then Dennis had to go to the Pan Ams and then in the last second overtime took down the Cuban, won the Pan Ams, qualified us for the Olympics. Um, and, and then, then I beat him, him in 2000. <laughs> yeah. And then in 2003, yeah. you had to place top 10 at the world championships. Well, I took fourth that year. So mm. we qualified the weight via my fourth place finish in 2003. That's got to feel good. Qualifying two weights. Like that, that's epic. Just, uh, put, putting the country on your back there. I love that. Yeah. Um, how, okay. So we, I was just talking this morning with a wrestler at Elmhurst, uh, about how weird it is that we wrestle our whole lives in a style that doesn't work internationally because there's no international folk style. I love folk style. I'm a folk style guy. I love being on the mat. I'm a mat wrestler, love cradles and stuff. So I, I don't like freestyle and Greco scares me cause I'm going to get dumped on my head and break my neck. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, so it's sad for me, but it's to me, like we spend our whole lives doing this. Jordan Burroughs spends his whole life doing, uh, Gre- uh, folk style. And then he goes and wins someone else's style of wrestling. He goes and wins freestyle wrestling. To me, that's so epic. Like, dude, that's mm-hmm. that's great. And I just think, imagine if we did our whole lives, we we trained freestyle. I'd be sad because I love folk style. Or if we we trained uh, Greco, we would be amazing, given that we spend our whole lives doing f- something else. What? Uh, how? How is? What's the state of Greco wrestling in the United States? Like, how is our team right now? And and what do we do to be the top guys? So, yeah. Um, so a couple things to unpack what you said just a second ago, which I mean, we're the only country in the world that elevates its folk style of wrestling because a lot, a lot of countries have a folk style of wrestling. Yeah. Turkey's got something that goes back like two or three thousand years. Same thing with, you know, Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. Yeah. But we're the only country that elevates that above the international styles, which number right. one is ridiculous. Yeah. But number two, fortunately, it's close enough that somebody who is, and that just kind of shows you the talent level of the United States of America. Somebody like Jordan Burroughs can make that transition. And he, obviously he, he's one of them. Kyle Snyder's another one. I mean, those are the kind of like the big name, Jaden Cox again. So you've got him in the mix. So we've got the, the athlete talent pool to be able to get away with that. It would be better for us as a country to have freestyle and Greco as being the dominant wrestling styles and but we're not going to do that because we're american we're stubborn that's right um, we're not going to the metric system either take that no we're not and it probably would be better but anyways we're not going to do it (laughs) Um, so as far as the state of greco right now in the u.s i mean if you go by and i just got back into helping out right um and i was at a january camp in 2019 before you know the world collapsed because of covid right um, so I just started helping out again, but even through like 2010, I helped out with the university. Uh, you know, I was a coach at the 2010 Pan Ams. I was also a coach at the 2010 University Worlds. Uh, we won the 2010 Pan Ams as a team. Um, Max Nowry became a, a world champion in 2010 at the university age group. Um, so I was dabbling in it through 2010 and then kind of pulled away. And now I'm back into it uh, because FCA has asked me to be a, a presence there. Linlin and Gary Mayab, uh, who are the kind of two top guys in Greco, asked me to be a presence. And so I've kind of gone back into it. But again, the simple answer is if you look at our results, Greco is not doing well right. internationally. I mean, the last medal we had was Adam Kuhn took a silver medal in 2018. 
2019, I believe, because then in 2019, he didn't place. And then 2020, nothing happened, right? Yeah. So we have not had, and you have to go back to Andy Bezik, um, who was a ter- two-time world bronze medalist. And I believe he did that in 14 and 15, if memory serves me correctly. Uh, but I could be wrong on that. But then we didn't have any medals in 2016. Um, and then before Bezik, you had to go back to Byers, who I think the last time he did something was maybe 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's been a while since we've had kind of like our 2007 world championship performance. Yeah. It's crazy to think that was, you know, 13 years ago, but yeah, the last time we really made some serious noise on the Greco, um, stage, the world stage was in 2007 when we won the world championships and the year before that 2006, when we were third as a team in 2001, we were third as a team and all three of those people said was impossible. And yet, um, we did it since then. Our results have been lackluster. Yeah. Is it, is it cause they changed the singlets from the little ones that just cover your nipples? Uh, and- <laughs> you know, I wish that was the case. Uh, but no, no, yeah. Yeah. Not, cause that would be an easy fix. Yeah. Right. Well, so I feel like our, our freestyle has, has come up a ton. Dudes are, are getting in early. They're doing freestyle year round kind of stuff. And it seems like our on the national level, like we've got really good guys and we're deep now. Um, is that has that thrown off our Greco game because all the all the kids are coming up doing freestyle more? Or what do what do you think? No, that's always been. I mean, yeah, that's always been the case where freestyle's been more popular just because mm-hmm. it's so close to folk style. Yeah. Um. So I don't think that you can fall back on that because historically that's always been the case. In fact, mm-hmm. I would I would make the argument it's better now for Greco because you have you know, these high profile Greco tournaments like Fargo or, yeah. you know, Cadet Nationals or the U23s, all that's in existence. You've got the uh, US OEC started back in the, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. And that's been going and that's supposed to be a Greco Roman f- feeder program for our senior level guys. So I don't think that you can say that, you know, folk style and freestyle are gobbling up uh, or, you know, are interfering because that's always been the case. So what changed between, you know, 2007, when we won a world team title um, and we're, you know, having you know, a bunch of guys medal to where we are now. I mean, I think it's a, it's a different question. Yeah. Man, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Um, I was – growing up, we had like the Harvey Twisters and the Gladiators, and these were the dudes that would just launch you all the time. They, their, their, slogan, their slogan is like, I'd, I'd rather – uh, throw you then know you those kind of things and we're always like if you can just take those dudes down then they're they're out because all they want to do is throw and we kind of like poo-pooed that and I never learned all the good throws and stuff so now here I am later in life trying to like learn some Greco and it's too late for me but maybe my kids uh, can grow up and, and make that team that'd be awesome but Jim you you went on from your Olympic career in Greco wrestling and you came through a, a couple different uh, avenues, but then you ended up at Wheaton college. Can you help me out? Like, like why Wheaton college? You could, you could be anywhere. Um, I know why. Right. But, but I want to, yeah. for the listeners. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great question because people thought I lost my mind. Why would I go from um, working with Ivan Ivanov, who is arguably one of the best Greco coaches in the country, if not the world, um, working side by side with him, taking what was supposed to be a developmental program, not only putting people on world Olympic teams, but then they start meddling, right? Why would I leave that to go to Wheaton College, a D3 school that has seven people on the team and the program has been dying, 
right? Why would I leave Olympic level wrestling and drop down? It'd be one thing if I went to a D1 program, you know, it'd be another thing, you know, know, people would understand that, right? Um, Why would I drop down, which would on the surface seem like just um, the simple answer is I really felt God calling me there. Um, The alumni approached me and said, hey, will you consider this? Uh, My wife was also looking to get out of the UP. So I wasn't actively looking for a job. It just kind of fell in my lap where I was pursued pretty hard by Wheaton College and then looked at it. We went down there. I interviewed and my wife and I prayed for about it. And we said, yeah, this is where God wants us. And so that's why. And again, you know, USA Wrestling has come circled back to me on multiple occasions said, hey, we'd love you to come back and and be a part of the coaching staff. Um, And yet, um, especially the early years. But uh, since then, I mean, I just I, I don't know that I'm finished at Wheaton yet. I think God still wants me here. I, I, that could stop tomorrow if he calls me somewhere else, or I could be here. I mean, the 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 former head coach Pete Wilson, who coached here for 27 years, said I was going to be here for 40. I'm like, well, Pete, I don't think you realize that's going to put me in my 80s, but okay, <laughs> you know, if God's going to bless me, the way, he, yeah. <laughs> the way uh, he blessed Caleb in the Old Testament, who was 85 and still swinging a sword, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm that 85 year old guy. I don't know, but uh, yeah. my body's starting to tell me no. So that's how I ended up at Wheaton. I, I believe it was 100% a, a calling by God to, because it doesn't make sense on paper right. when you look at, you know, the level of wrestling. Um, yeah. Well, Jim, the, the, I think that's really instructive for us because, um, man, it, on paper, it doesn't look like it makes sense. But but when you when you hear the story, it makes a lot of sense. You'd better go where you think God's telling you to go. Because if you go somewhere else and, and you're not following his instruction, you're not following his lead, like, it's not going to go well for you. So go where he tells you to go. And and I, I think God's really been blessing the program because of you. So that's, that's been huge. Um, man, can you tell us about your faith? Like how did you become a Christian? Yeah. So my parents got divorced. Uh, they split when I was six, they got divorced when I was seven and we were kind of nominal Christians. My mom came from a Catholic background. My dad was Missouri Synod, Synod Lutheran. So, but there wasn't a strong, I don't remember as a kid, there being a strong, I remember being Christians on Easter and Christian, uh, Easter and Christmas, right? Um, After they got divorced, you know, Sundays were cartoons. It wasn't, I mean, God was, I mean, we were agnostic at best. I don't remember there being any mention of God in our household, again, other than dabbling in it on on Easter and and Christmas. Mm. Um, Fast forward a few years, my mom uh, is working at a print shop, and one of the people who were working there was a pastor at a Baptist church, and he invited her to church. And I had a really close relationship with my mother. I went with her. And then the next thing you know, I'm feeling super convicted listening to a sermon. My mom encourages me to do that Baptist um, altar call. And so I go up there and the guy walks me through the Romans road and I prayed right there to accept Christ as my savior. Mm. Um, Now, I wish it were that, you know, know, that were the end of my life was this glowing halo and I was this great person. But, you know, I, know, I, I remember for the next four years, I was in fire for a while. I shared it with my dad. My brother got saved. My parents started going to church regularly. You know, my, my mom, my stepdad started going to church regularly. So it became this, you know, really cool thing. But then as I got deeper into high school with distractions and whatnot, um, I started questioning my faith. You know, did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? You know, because I wasn't really acting like a Christian. I was, yeah. you know, I was, a, I was a little bit of a bully, at least verbally. Uh, some of my classmates say they don't remember that, but I remember, you know, just being verbally abusive and not having to worry about it much because I was a wrestler and I was a really good wrestler. And so I didn't have to worry about someone beating me up anymore. Right. Whereas when I was a little kid, you're getting stuffed in a locker, you're getting picked on in the playground or someone kicks you in the groin and you're curled up in the fetal position. 
sucking your thumb and then they kick snow on your head. Well, you know, while that's happening, you're like, this, this is not cool. Well, that kind of really ended. Specific. Yeah. That's really specific. And, well, that's because it actually happened, but, <laughs> <laughs> but then you get to high school and you start throwing around some serious weight in the weight room and then you can back it up with a combat sport. And so, you know, one-on-one you're all right. Yeah. So I started being a little bit of a bully. Uh, and then, you know, by the time I got to college, which was this great environment, you know, I had, you know, those guide rails of Ben Peterson to keep me on track of being in, in, in being able to see what that model of a Christian man was. And so my faith journey, you know, eventually ended me in high school, you know, opening up the Bible and re-going through that Romans road and realizing, okay, this is what I believe. I do believe that Christ died on the cross for my sins. And there's a penalty for my sins that goes beyond, you know, my mom busting out, you know, a hairbrush or whatever's close and tan in my behind, right. you know, it's greater than that, right? There's an eternal consequence for my sin and realizing that I'm not perfect. You know, my wrestling very definitely showed me that because I never had a perfect season. God always managed to sneak in a loss on me to keep me humble. Uh, but anyway, so then, and then of course, then, you know, that faith journey took me to Maranatha, getting mentored by Ben and John Peterson and to a certain degree by their wives as well. Right. Cause there's that, you know, they both, they both built into me and then, uh, and then eventually having to make my Christian faith, my own, right. I couldn't, I couldn't just rely on Ben Peterson to point me in the right direction. I had to open up God's word and, and really understand what it had to say. And I couldn't be a lemming anymore, uh, and following blindly some church who, uh, you know, who had extra biblical standards, or even a college that I went to that had some extra biblical standards, really kind of breaking down God's word and saying, okay, how am I going to understand God's word the way he intended it to be understood? Yeah. And so that was kind of like the next iteration of my Christian walk was really understanding God's word. That's huge, man. That's so awesome. So uh, one, one thing that, that, made me kind of flock to you um, and, and guys like you is that you're a wrestler and you're a Christian and you're, you're a Christian wrestler, but you are still a man. And I don't want to like step on anyone's toes. I don't want to be overly mean. Right. But I, I grew up in Lombard, Illinois, went to church in Wheaton. And just the idea that I had was, you know, Christian men tuck in their nice little sweater vests and we leave our sin at the door and we don't talk about that icky stuff. Not here. No, no, sir. Young man. And I was like, well, dude, I'm a wrestler and I want to take someone and throw them through a wall. Right. You know, like, this is what I do on a daily basis. And you don't seem like men to me. And I still struggle with that all the time in Christian circles, trying to wrestle through what's cultural. What, what does it mean to be a man? You know, is this like, is aggression okay for a Christian? So this is something that I look to you. I look to, to other um, Christians who do combat sports who are, who are, who are doing it well, in my opinion. Um, but how do we how do we mix the two, man? How do we think about Christianity and masculinity when in this culture the the kind of meek the meek Jesus gets put on display? Squishy Jesus, boyfriend Jesus, mm-hmm. and not like like warrior Jesus. Like what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so that's great. Um so part of and this is a problem because a lot of times the Christian culture is driven by like American culture or Hollywood culture, right? Rather than what should be happening is if Christians are really doing their job and sharing Christ, we should be driving culture mm-hmm. and we should be defining masculinity. Because if you look at the biblical, if you look at the ultimate man, I'm not just talking male, right? Male is just being born with the X, Y. Right. Uh, and we can unpack that another time. But let's just talk. Let's just talk biologically male. And you know, you're a man and you want to be a man. You've got the X, Y. Well, 
just because you have the XY doesn't make you a man. Mm-hmm. I look to Christ to determine what I believe is masculinity. You look how he was, you look at how he was compassionate um, and he was kind to women and children. And yet he also did not do well with people who were elitist. In other words, he had the physical ability to overturn the tables in, in his father's house and run off people. So it's not like he was this, 90 pound dripping wet guy who wasn't intimidating because if that had been the case, they would have grabbed them and launched them outside the doors and said, nice try. It's a good point. Right. Yeah. And so when I look at what it is to be a man, I'm not going to buy into Hollywood's version of masculinity, which is either James Bond where you're beating the crap out of someone and then sleeping with five or six different women. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's no commitment there. There's no love there. There's just kind of lust and pleasure. Yeah. Um, which I'm not indicating you can't have marriage. I mean, uh, I'm hoping that, I mean, I still look at my wife and clap my hands when she walks out of the shower because I find her attractive. Right. And right. you know, I, yeah. I wish she did the same thing for me, but she's wired a little bit differently <laughs> and it doesn't make a difference how good I look. She's just not going to do that. But I mean, and yet I still love her and I'm still attracted to her and uh, there's still passion in our relationship. I mean, but ultimately I try to treat her the way Christ treated women. I treat my kids the way Christ treated children. And I mean, he takes time and spends and makes them feel valuable and wanted. So I don't have this James Bond version of what a man is, nor am I going to be someone who um, is is unable to, I I guess you look at kind of how we define, there's no toughness to him. There's no grit to them. Right. And I'm not talking about the kind of grit that, you know, uh, the, the the gangbanger kind of grit where you're just walking up and shooting someone in the head. I'm talking about being able to wade in the deep waters in that darkness and be a light there. I'm talking about having that physical toughness, that mental toughness, that intellectual toughness, that emotional toughness, that spiritual toughness, that toughness that says, I'm not going to cheat on my wife. Right. Right. That toughness that says, I'm not going to punch someone in the face, you know, who just swerved in front of me, you know, that, 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 that kind of, you know, and yet still have the toughness to someone breaks into my house and tries harming my wife and my kids where I'm going to lay down my life for them. Right. You know, if they want to get to my wife and my kids, they've got to go through me. They've got to kill me to get to my wife, my kids, and I'm not going to make killing me an easy thing to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's a gun or, the guns hanging off my arms, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be a fight. And so that to me, because if you look at the way Christ suffered on the way to the cross, that to me is grit. That to me is being a man. If you look at the way Christ talked to the woman at the well, that to me is compassion. That's the model for the Christian man. And yes, we don't see that in churches a lot. The churches have tried to adopt a super sensitive. Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with being sensitive and compassionate and sympathetic and empathetic, but they've got this kind of like, they almost want to go to being a non-male male, a non-masculine male to try to make, to try to embrace I've heard people say, embrace your feminine side as a man. Well, you can't embrace a feminine side as a man because you are a man, right? And so let's look to the ultimate man who is Christ and model our masculinity after him. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful, man. I I, I love that because uh, you don't have to, you don't have to be uh, feminine to be compassionate. 
like there's there's a way that that masculine is called to be compassionate and we have the answer you know the the god man himself doing that he yeah he wasn't embracing his his femininity he was just being the the perfect man the perfect man and this is how a perfect man handles a broken woman he it's so great cuz he he still says like though her sins are many he does that on, on a couple of different occasions he speaks the truth but he's still compassionate as well and yeah like him crawling to the cross we always think meek jesus poor jesus man look at how skinny you can see his ribs but you forget that he's got he's the god man this is this is the guy who's holding the universe together and if he sneezed or even had one kind of inkling of weakness of oh, i wish this just wouldn't happen he could have exploded the whole universe but yet he's got this toughness to say, no, I'm doing my, I'm about my father's will and I'm going to the cross for, for his glory. And like, I'm doing that. And that, that gets me fired up, man. I'm, I'm sweating right now, but hmm. that gets me fired up. And that's, that's a idea that, that, that gets me excited thinking of Jesus in, in, in a more full, you know, holistic masculine, uh, I don't want to make him um, um, American masculine. You know, I want to correct my view of what it means to be a man by scripture. And dude, I just want to commend you. Like, I think you do this really well. I think you're a great example. And I think we need more. I think we need more examples of godly men who, who are real men who can wrestle, who can do jujitsu, who can f- compete in a combat sport without feeling guilty or something. Um, but who are also gentle with kids who also like represent Christ well and, I want to see more. I want to see more and more. I pray for it. I pray for it to myself. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm so pumped because I know every year there's like five or six guys coming out of the Wheaton program that have heard this for four years that are going to go out there and they're going to be good fathers and Lord willing. And they've had a good example in you, man. So I, I appreciate you. And this is a big reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk a little bit more about this. Um, what, what do we do? We, I've talked about it a little bit, but how do we inculcate this in, in men, in Christian men, how, how do we go about discipling them in that way? Well, you're doing it right now. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're using media to promote, you know, an ideology, a, a worldview. So that's part of it. And the other thing is got, it's, it's twofold, right? And it has to be twofold. It cannot just be one because it's not good enough. You both have to live it. Right. Mm-hmm. But you also have to speak it. Yeah. Right. Cause there are some people, there are some very silent men out there in the church that live it every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, they live it. They are, they are, they are wonderful with their wives. They are wonderful with their kids, but they're not teaching it. And then there are other people out there who teach it, but they're not living it. And so, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're being hypocritical. And so it's, it's one of those kind of, it's a kind of that idea of power and direction, right? If, if you're, you know, power without direction is dangerous, super mm-hmm. dangerous, right? And yet direction without power goes nowhere. Yeah. And so we need both. If you look at Christ, he was both grace and truth. He was both love and justice. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a balance. He was that perfectly. So he embodied those qualities perfectly. We, you know, as a as a, as we're told to be a light to the world, we have to be an example of those same qualities. And yet we also have to speak those same qualities. So I'm not just going to be an example of a, of a Christian husband and father that I learned from Ben and John Peterson to my guys. I am going to speak that as well. And I'm going to make sure that I live it so that I'm not a hypocrite. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's becomes that, 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 and that's what it is. Again, it's power and direction. Yeah. You know, it's grace and truth. It's love and justice. All these things need to be. Yeah. That's huge, dude. Oh, I love it. Uh, just w- one last question to, to end on. Um, sometimes when people become Christians or they start taking their faith more seriously and they're still doing a sport, um, they, they get a little messed up because their sport was their idol beforehand, and that's what drove them. Maybe it was uh, getting back at someone who said they wouldn't amount to anything, and then they become a Christian and say, I need to forgive that person, but now I have no driving force. Other people are really just ambitious, and they want to take their – they want to see how good they can do with their body, but then they, they think, well, I need to be meek and stuff. Is ambition uh, – how should the Christian athlete uh, – wrestler in particular if you want but how does a christian athlete think about ambition is it okay to be ambitious without like the i'm going to secretly be ambitious for myself and i'll get on the podium and say you know all glory to god but like a genuine conception of ambition for the christian listen if god has given you a set of abilities and a desire a good desire we should be the fiercest Hmm. people on the planet Right. People should we should be the Bible says to be zealous, but to be zealous for what is good. And that's why I tell people I'm not at Wheaton to serve Wheaton. I'm at Wheaton to serve God. Mm. Wheaton's just the beneficiary of it. Right. I don't serve my wife, my kids. I serve my God. My wife, my kids are beneficiaries of me serving God. So if I'm going to serve God, I better lay it all out there. So as a wrestler, I better be the fiercest, most frightening wrestler that has ever stepped out on the mat if I'm doing it the right way. I'm really serving God. See, the problem is, is that people don't really serve God. Mm. You know, that's they hide behind. They say they are, but they really just want the award and they want the accolades. They want the fame. No, 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 no. The standard is to serve God. The winning and losing will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And so when I stepped out on the mat, the only will greater than my will was God's will. I wanted to impose my will on everybody around me. I'm the referee. I'm the coaches. <laughs> I mean, it was it's just the way it's got to be. And so when you hide behind either this, this pseudo, um, um, uh, you know, kind of like a false sense of modesty, the pseudo modesty and like, oh, 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 it's all God. And someone asked, how did you do at the tournament? I'll tell you how I did. God blessed, I won the national tournament. That's what happened. Rather than saying, oh, well, you know, whatever. You know, no. If God gave you the victory in something, you say, listen, God bless, I won the tournament. Mm-hmm. That's how you honor God through something. You don't you don't downplay it. You don't hide behind this false modesty. And the other thing, you don't walk into a room and say, hey, I'm two-time Olympian, Jim Grunewald. <laughs> you know, look upon me. Right. You mighty in despair, right? Because I'm better than you. No, that's also your big neon sign just promoting yourself. That's Mm -hmm. also wrong. But if someone comes, you don't announce yourself, but if someone asks you how you've done, you be honest and you tell them. You don't hide behind this false sense of modesty. And then when you go and do something, you do it to the best. You do, you fight with every drop of blood in your body. Mm -hmm. That's, 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 I mean, that's what God's given you to do. Yeah. How could you do anything else? Right, dude. Dude, I love that so much. And that, that's, it's it's an answer not as uh, well put, but I, I tell it to my guys as well. Like, yeah, whatever your hand finds to do, do it, do it for the Lord. Do it with, do with all your might, you know, for the Lord. But at some level, if you're wrestling in college, if you're a college athlete, at some level, God made you to do that. Like if you're, there, there's not very many people who can do that. He made you to do that. Use that, use that for his glory. Enjoy that too. Like go out there. And and I love what you said. That's an athletes in action principle as well. Like the Christian athlete should be the hardest working athlete 
even if your coach isn't looking and you can sandbag, God knows. God mm-hmm. gave you this body. He knows what you're doing. He knows how hard you tried. When you go, oh, I really tried really hard and I just didn't put it together. In the back of your mind, when you know that's not true, sometimes it's true and you come up short. Okay, whatever. Sometimes you have sandbagged or you were scared or you're trying to not lose instead of win. God knows that. And he gave you this body in order to glorify him with. And this is the the talent, right? What, what, what investment are you going to give? Uh, God on your, on your, the ability that he's given you. And it gets me all fired up because sports can be a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, People have said, you know, sports breed character. And I heard this pastor once say, well, then if that's the case, man, and that's just how it is, then we should look at the pro athletes. They should have the most character. It's like, oh, that's not true. But no, in fact, the exact opposite is true. If you look at the longer person participates in organized sport, uh, the worse their moral decisions become. Wow. And so that's why it's so important right now to remember that if you are really serving God in what you do, mm-hmm. then winning and losing does not define you. It just directs you, right? Yeah. What am I doing right and what am I doing wrong? So that's why the standard has got to be to serve God because a lot of people are defined by their w- wins and losses. Yeah. So when they win, they're amazing. When they lose, they're a loser. No, 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 no. Winning and losing just direct you. Yeah. And so I don't look to a pro athlete as being someone who I'm going to uh, uh, pattern my life morality after. I look to God for my morality. Yeah. I look to Christ as my example. Yeah, man, I love that. And and looking at it from from the Christian lens, you might be tempted to say, well, this is just a game. It's just a sport. And, and you might be able to, to, to diminish it. But when you go in deeper into Christian theology and, and you let your mind be transformed by the renewal, uh, but be renewed by being transformed through reading scripture, you'll see everything I do matters, whether I eat or drink, whatever I do. That definitely includes wrestling. It definitely includes lifting weights in the gym. How hard are you going to freaking work? Like he made you for this. Go and do it. Mm, it gets me all worked up, man. I know my wrestler is going to hear this. They're going to be all fired up, sweating like I am. <laughs> so good, man. I'm, I, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This is a, a perspective that that I have and God's blessed me with. Um, but he's he's blessed me with it through guys like you uh, and you particularly, man. So I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate that you follow God to Wheaton because it was super close to where I was and I could get this firsthand. And I'm excited to to help out a little bit more with some of your big guys. Um, it, it does me good, but it does me even more good hearing you and, and seeing your uh, example with your wife and your kids. So man, God bless. This is awesome. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, a lot of this I discuss in a book that I'm writing right now with Craig Sesker called Not All Roads Lead to Gold. Dude, I, I, was, just gonna a ask, lot of these. I was just going to ask, what, um, any idea on when people can get that book? Um, I'm hoping by the summer. Okay. It looks like it'll be, we're finishing it up right now. We've got the cover art looks great, uh, but we should be finished. Hopefully I'm, I'm hoping by the end of May, so I can start bringing it to the camps and clinics and shamelessly yeah. promoting it. That's right. That's right. You come back <laughs> on the podcast. We can talk about it. Uh, is that, is that with FCA or who, who? No, it's just, it was just, it's just, I'm going solo. Awesome. I'm That'll going solo huge. with Sesker. Yeah. It'll be huge. If people wanted to hear more from you, uh, is the best place to, to like YouTube your name or how do people hear from you? I mean, I, I don't, I don't have, I mean, you, there's stuff on YouTube of me speaking like at Wheaton College's chapel and grad chapel. Yeah. There's things that FCA have put up. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you YouTube Jim Grunewald or James Grunewald, you're going to probably come up with some wrestling and some FCA speaking engagements and some Wheaton speaking engagements. My guess is now you'll pop up with this. Yeah. I mean, so that there's, yeah. 
you know, uh, so yeah, there's, I mean, that's it, but I don't, I don't like, I just with juggling a wife, seven kids working on a master's degree, uh, writing for a couple of different publications. I mean, even five point throw now, uh, you know, post a spiritual uh, kind of like a Christian section where I give a life lesson and, you know, I, I you know, give a wrestling lesson and at the end of it have a spiritual connection. So, yeah. um, so yeah, although, I mean, those are just little things that I've done over the years and continue to do. Yeah. And so if people want to tap into my, you know, to, you know, the things that God's laid on my heart, that's where you find it. Awesome. Yeah. That five point throw. That's a, that's a good tip there too. Yeah. Well, sweet. So, um, Lord not fancy you- like you with your own secret. <laughs> <laughs> that's right not yet not yet until that book comes out and you and and you start your own podcast and and defeat me um <laughs> dude thank, this has been so fantastic i can't wait to to talk with you more uh lord willing we'll be able to keep continue this conversation but for now it's gonna have to do it this has been parker's pensies and as always all glory to god <laughs>